Well, welcome again, Rise Church. We are in part two of our In God We Trust. It's also the last part of this two-part series. My name is Jason. I'm the executive pastor here. We always say this is, if you're a guest with us, uh, try us out three times because uh, you never know you like something until you try it a few times. And uh, if you're here in person or joined us online, we're so glad to have you here. Uh, if you're a, a regular uh, attender or member here, check in, uh, like, share it there if you're watching there at home. Uh, let everyone know about what's happening and what God is doing here at Rise Church. And so again, this two-week series. So last week, just to catch you up, hopefully you got to check out that message. If you didn't, I encourage you to go back and check it out. Pastor Aaron shared three things we do and we need to do in our lives when we find ourselves having done the right thing yet received the, the wrong results. Uh, and he gave it to an example of like what happens when you go through a prison season. And again, you have to listen to it to get it in context. And he shared three things. And I want to share with you today a little bit different, but also uh, something that you can do to trust God. And, and the question I want to pose to you today is what do you do when God's people hurt you? What do you do when God's people hurt you? And I know we've all been in there because I've heard this statement over and over in all my years of ministry, which I know it looks like maybe I've been in like ministry like two years, um, but I just turned 44 uh, this week, and I've been in ministry since I was about 18 years old in full-time or part-time ministry at some level, and I hear this statement over and over again, and it's this, I can't trust God because I can't trust his people. Hear it over and over again uh, that people feel this way. I can't trust God because I can't trust his people. That we've all been hurt by someone who calls themselves, professes to be a believer in Jesus. I think we would all feel that way in some way. And, and, and here's what I know. Churches hurt people. Pastors hurt people. People hurt people. And that will cause people to lose their trust in God oftentimes. I hear it time and time again. But, but when we as a church, there's something that we say, and uh, we, we say this to people who come in, and we say this, don't treat us like the people who hurt you, and we won't treat you like the people who hurt us. And people are often like, what do you mean? You're a pastor. Like, I'm sure no one's hurt you. Do you know that only one out of ten People who go into the ministry retire at the end of their days in the ministry. One out of ten pastors make it because it's hard. I can tell you as a pastor, I've been lied to. I've been lied about. I've been manipulated. I've been stolen from by good Christian people. And if you're watching this right now and you're not a believer, you're like, yes, that's exactly what I've been saying about Christians. And it can hurt. I've invested hours into people and only to have them turn and say, you've done nothing for me. You've never, ever helped me in any way to cut me off, to block me out of their life. And you're like, what, what happened? We've all been hurt by people. And what I realize this is there's no pain like people pain. There's no pain like a person, the closer that person is to you, the easier it is for them to hurt you. We've all been there. And the Bible gives us example after example of this. I want to share a few examples of you because how do we deal with this? How do we deal with it when people hurt us? 
The Bible gives us several examples. Example number one I have, and, 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 and it all turns out, each one of these examples gives us a different thing. It, 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 this example comes from the book of Job. And let me give you a little context to what's happening here in the book of Job. If you read the book of Job, it can be a very confusing book to read. I've heard varying opinions on the book of Job and what it means and the secret meanings behind it. But the gist of it is, is all these bad things start happening to Job. And the majority of the book of Job is actually about his friends having a dialogue with him. Have you ever been in a hurt season of your life? And you have some friends come to talk to you, and there's zero help. And all they do is make things worse. Welcome to Job's life. So Job goes through, and there's 40-some-odd chapters of his friends, like, trying to say things to him, and they're not helpful. They're not necessarily truthful. He's looking... He's not really looking for advice. He's just looking for someone to come alongside him. That's good advice right there. Is oftentimes people aren't looking for advice. They're just looking for someone to hear and validate them. But the whole time, all they do is blame Job and say, it must be somehow your secret sin. This is just God punishing you. And so at the end of it, God is speaking in uh, in chapter 42, verse 8. Here's what God speaks to his friends. He says, so take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job, God speaking to the friends, and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. It's good. And I will accept his prayer on your behalf. And I will not treat you as you deserve. Come on. How many of you are grateful for God's grace when he doesn't treat us what we deserve? For you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. He said, you didn't speak about me in the right way, and you didn't speak about Job in the right way. And so in verse 10, we skip, and Job did that. He says, when Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Wow. So you see here, Job goes through this rough time. His friends come. They're absolutely no help. They don't speak well of God. They don't speak well of him. But when he prayed for them, Everything turned around. Sometimes in our lives, we can pray for them. This is when when we're in hurt. Sometimes we can pray for them, and it all turns, and, and we can forgive them, and it all turns out great. Sometimes that's the case. And I think you should always start there when you're hurt. I think you should always start there for praying for them and, 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 and forgiving them. Not trying to go after revenge, because how I respond to the hurt determines what I experience. How I respond to the hurt determines my experience. And I remember a case where this happened in my life. So again, I've been on staff at multiple churches, but uh, you know, a church uh, hired me to come in. This is the second church I worked at. And they had had many candidates for this job. I was a kids pastor at the time. And a couple of the ladies in the church had applied for this job. And they, you know, let's be, I'm trying to be nice. They were not qualified for the job, nor did they have the right mental uh, attitude, demeanor. They they just were not ready for it. And so when my wife and I were hired for this job, we came in there and immediately they were mad at me. I had done nothing wrong to them. I had never, I didn't even know them. But immediately they set themselves up as my enemy. And if you know anything about me, it's like, you could talk bad about me, you could rumor about, you could gossip, you could tell rumors, I, I, it will not bother me one bit. 
Because I have the kind of personality that says, I don't care what you think about me. (laughs) Maybe that's good in some points. Some points it's not so good. But they could kind of tell that was me. And so what they decided to do is to attack one area where you can get me. There's really two areas, my wife and my kids. So they decided to start telling rumors about my wife. I can't even repeat them in church because there's children here and there might be children watching. They just started the most vile rumors about my wife. And if you've ever met my wife, you know, she was up here on Mother's Day speaking with Miss Erica, and she works back there in the kids. She is literally the nicest person and truly nicest person in the world. And I don't think that I'm, I'm over-exaggerating there. I may be under-exaggerating. Like, she's just kind. She's sweet. Everybody loves her. And they just started this. And I'm like, how do I handle this? And I decided this. I was going to do everything I could to bless them. I was going to speak life over them. I was going to pray for them. And do you know, just a few months in, these same ladies, these two families of ladies, they became my greatest allies. And you know what? They never did come to me and say, hey, we want to apologize for saying those things. I didn't need that because I prayed for them, and God turned it out right. And and, and eventually, one of them actually took over the role when I left. And so sometimes we can pray for them. It turns out great. Sometimes we're in the toughest part of our lives like Job and people aren't really helpful and we can pray for them and it can turn out great. The second example, there's another example and we can see this from the life of David. Now David and his men, they're off fighting a battle. Let me give you some context for what's happening here in 1 Samuel 30. Uh, We see they're out fighting a battle and when they come back, here's what happens. So David and his men came back to the city and behold, it was burned with fire. So they're out doing the right thing, taking the territory God's told them to take. They come back home, just like what Pastor Aaron talked about last week. They were doing the right thing, but they come back home and the wrong thing has happened. And it says, behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. They came back and all their people and all their stuff were gone. They were just out doing the right thing and they come back home and it's all burned to the ground. It's all gone. And as we look here in verse 4, it says, and, and, and David and the people that were with him, these mighty men that he had, they lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. You can see the brokenness here, the hurt. We were doing the right things. But then look what happens here. Verse 6, we skip ahead, and it says, David was greatly distressed for the people, these other guys. Look what happened. They're all in this hurt together. And look what happens. The people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved and every man for his sons and for his daughters. But look what David did. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. It's the second example we see that often when we're in pain, when we're in hurt, that what we have to do is encourage ourselves. And here what we see is we see these people who were hurt And they started to hurt. That we say this in the church a lot, that hurt people hurt people. But as David encouraged himself in the Lord, as we skip ahead to verse 18, it it, kind of gives the, the story, you can read it all. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. That sometimes, even in the midst of hurt, what you realize is the people who are hurting you are hurt themselves, but you can encourage yourself 
in the Lord. Sometimes you just have to encourage yourself in the Lord, and he can turn it around. We see that they, that they had this hurt, that when you have no one else to turn to because it seems like everyone else around you is hurting, you can go to God and he can be your encourager. Because not only do hurt people hurt people, healed people should heal people. And so when we reveal, one of the things that we, we've always said when I was a kid growing up is God can heal what you reveal. And so David brought his pain to God. And God healed that pain and gave him the victory and turned it around. And what I've realized about life is that life is a test. And that God is administering the test often to us. I'm not saying that God made that happen, but, but here's what I realized about the test. Is God not only allows retakes of the test, he demands them. That you retake the test over and over again. Even after you pass the test, the test comes again. And so David passed this test. And I remember, again, a story in my life where this has been the case, where, uh, you know, I was working at a church, and uh, I, I had come to work for one supervisor, and one month in, the supervisor changed. And this guy and I did not get along at all. And we were both, neither one of us was wrong, we just weren't the right fit for each other. And for two years, it was like, boom, boom, boom. Heads, butt, heads, butt, heads, butt. And finally, he just came to me one day and said, it was kind of the worst timing ever for me. I was going on the first like real vacation with my wife that I had gone in a year since like our honeymoon. Most money I'd ever spent. And like the day before I leave, he says, hey, you should find somewhere else to work. And I'm like, wow. He goes, I don't know if you're really going on vacation or if you're going to look for a job, but you should probably look for a job. And I was like, wow. Didn't make him evil. That probably wasn't the best thing. He did apologize later. But from that, actually, God did something miraculous. I went to go work for my dream church, a pastor that I'd been, actually, that put me in connection with Pastor Aaron to work with him. I wouldn't be here today. Uh, put us uh, in the right place to reconnect with my father. Put me in the right place to be there uh, for my wife, for her mother, to go through her last days. We were there to have our last son, to do, that God did so many divine things in that moment. God took that, but, but what I had to do is I had to encourage myself and God in that moment, like, God, you got this. You got this. And he turned it all around. And it turned for our good. So sometimes you pray, and it turns out. Sometimes you, you, know, you encourage yourself. But sometimes it's different. We see this example in the book of Acts. Acts 13, 13. It's talking about Paul here. And it says, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. So this is the start of a narrative of something that happened. So Paul and his companions, they go, they're preaching, they're in this like, man, it's a fight everywhere they go. And all of a sudden, now this translation doesn't give it as good, it's literally John Mark abandoned them in their time of need. He just disappeared. 
And we know that because we continue reading here in John 15, or Acts 15, we skip ahead, and it says here, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, that was the two they were working together, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached. So they went on a world tour. Uh, we preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. They went on a world tour. They started all these churches. He says, now we got to go back around, check in all the churches we planted. Let's go back. And so Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. You can see how this tension is already starting. So next verse, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. He left us. Look what happens here. Uh, and it says, uh, I think we skipped a verse. Verse 39. Is there verse 39 there? Yeah, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. They could not come to an agreement. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus in verse 40. Uh, here we see what Paul did. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Sometimes good people have a relationship that ends. Sometimes you pray you encourage, but it still comes to an end. And there's a splitting of ways. And, and when we read this, there's such debate amongst Bible scholars, and I've heard people debate this, like, who was right? Was it Paul or was it Barnabas? You know, Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. Was it the son of encouragement or was it the mean old Paul? And then there's other people who are like, well, it had to be Paul. It ha he, ha he wrote most of the New Testament, so it had to be. He was right. We never get any commentary on who was right and who was wrong. And that's where we falter in life because we want to be right and we want the other person to be wrong. And sometimes there's no right and wrong. It's just, hey, we have to go our separate ways. We had a sharp disagreement. And that can be a struggle for us because it's not very messy. I mean, it's very messy. It's not very clean. It isn't very tidy. And this whole situation happens, and it's, it's super messy. And it's interesting, though, that if you look here uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, only Luke is with me. Luke was the one who wrote the book of Acts, by the way. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in ministry. This was 20 years later that Paul actually calls for it. This is the same John Mark. This is also, so what, just because someone goes out of your life for a season doesn't mean they can't come back in and that there can't be something that happens over 20 years or some period of years that brings healing. We don't get any, the, the Bible doesn't talk anything about this. I, this is one of the mysteries I want to go and as soon as I get to heaven be like, Paul, what happened in those 20 years? Can, can, you, can you explain to me? Can, we can only, we only have conjecture like, hey, what happened? Because, Mark, have you ever read your Bible and read Matthew? Mark, Mark actually wrote Mark with the help of Peter, likely. He was telling Peter's story. So obviously God still used him, and God still used Barnabas, though Barnabas disappears from, he's only mentioned one more time by Paul in Galatians, which has likely happened before this event. He disappears. Does that mean that all the work that he did disappeared? No. There just was a disagreement and they had a parting of ways. And sometimes in our lives, we have to set up a boundary. We have to set up a separation. We have to set up a, a necessary ending with people. And here's the struggle is many of us believe that's unchristian. 
We have this picture of Jesus like he's just like a milk toast Jesus, like he's a wimpy Jesus, like we can never cut anyone out of our life. That isn't very Christian. That's a lie. And I know some of you right now are like, I can't believe this that you would say that. Jesus actually gives you a recipe for cutting people out of your life. In Matthew 18, he gives you a process. He says, go to them. They don't listen. Bring someone with you. They don't listen. Go to church leadership. They don't listen. Cut them out. Jesus, I can't believe you. That's not very Christ-like. Yes, it is. That is a lie, a manipulation started by narcissistic people who want to control people to say, no, if you're a Christian, you have to be a doormat and you have to let people walk all over you. That's not true. If that was the case, why in Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 5 did Jesus say, love your enemies? He, he, it, well, he didn't say that you'd never have enemies. He said you'd have enemies. We see here that in Matthew 16, we think Jesus is just like, oh no, he never cut anybody. It, Matthew 16, he corrects Peter and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Wow. How's that for Christ-like? We have to realize that just because uh, that someone's in our life, that doesn't mean they get access forever. And so if someone's harmful to you, if someone's, uh, uh, th th they've just created a pattern that you see this negativity, that you see this, this thing that's, that's harmful to your health, whether it be spiritual, physical, mental, we have to cut them out. Is there a clear pattern that we see? Is there an uh, unwillingness to change? Because if there's an unwillingness to change, guess what? They're never going to change. And so in our, our, our thought of this wimpy Jesus that we have, we can't get in the mindset that we can never have a necessary ending with people. Doesn't mean that we have to just cut people out all the time. But again, Jesus gave us a process. He made it clear. And you can check that out in Matthew 18. So how do we respond to hurt? As we're wrapping up this message, I want to give you three things you can do to respond to hurt, because we've all been hurt. But these ways to respond to hurt are all about perspective. They're all about seeing the things in the correct way. And the first thing you must see is, number one, see yourself properly. You've got to see yourself properly. And this can start with self-awareness. Often, we are not aware of who we are. And I'm a big fan of, of, of discovering who I am, whether it be through counseling. I'm, I'm a believer in that. I'm a huge believer in personality tests, like the Strength Finders and, and uh, DISC and Myers-Briggs and Spiritual Gifts Test and now I'm, I'm Enneagram. Like, all these different things, they help me to be self-aware of who I really am and what God needs to work on me in. We need to have that self-awareness. And we need to realize that when these hurts happen, when we're rejected, when we're left out, when we're lied about, when things don't go, and people have missed expectations, maybe because we haven't communicated those expectations to them, we need to realize that that rejection that we feel is an event, it's not a person, it's not personal. It feels personal, but it's not who we are. That hurt because I hear it all the time. Well, pastor, these hurts keep coming in my life. I keep getting hurt in the same way, so, so it must be me. Well, let's have some self-awareness. Is there an avenue where you're a, that you need to work on? 
But don't take it personal. That's not your person. And what we need to realize is we need to understand who we are in Christ. We need to take self-awareness plus who we are in Christ. We need to take, let me say that again, we need to take self-awareness plus understand and discover who God says we are. Not just discover who God says we are, not just discover our, our, our strengths and weaknesses, but we actually need to put those together. Self-confidence, or not, not self-confidence, but self-awareness plus confidence in who God says we are. We put those together. That helps us to see ourselves properly. And we need to do the work of getting into Scripture and finding them. Because here's what I found. We love to go online and take quizzes about which friend's character we are. We like to take surveys about what kind of potato we are. But when it comes to finding out who we are in Christ, we're like, hey, pastor, can you give me all those scriptures? I don't want to go look for them. I don't want to put in the work. I'm too busy taking potato surveys. I got to find out what color I am, what kind of flower I am. Do I say Coke or pop? There's a hundred and over 160 scriptures in the New Testament that talk about our identity in Christ. And here's how you can find them. They, they, they have the word in Christ, in him, in whom, through him, by him, from him, of him, of Christ, etc., etc., etc. Basically, a word that's connecting us to Christ. Oh, come on, come on. A word that's connecting us, our identity to Christ. There's over 160 of them. And so my encouragement is, is hey, I'm all about taking strength finders. I'm all about uh, personality tests. Again, I'm certified and working on that to be able to, to administer those. I'm all about that. But I want to spend this just as much time not just discovering who I am and who I was born to be. I want to understand who I was born again to be in Christ. And, 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 and you know what? I'm not, when I look at myself, I don't just say, well, I'm an Enneagram 8. No, no, no. I'm an Enneagram 8, but I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm not just a CI on the disc test. Uh, I, I am more than victorious in Christ. I am not just an ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs. I am, I belong to Jesus. I'm not just an achiever on strength finders. I am sufficient in Christ. I am not what I do. I'm who he created me to be. I have to understand those things. I have to have a practice. And so here's just a couple of these scriptures. And here's what I do. I take them and I say them every day. I make them a part of my life. I have to figure out how do I spend just as much time reprogramming my identity to who God says I am as I do spending time of being self-aware where I need God to speak into. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I'm going to do these real fast. This means that if anyone belongs, there we go, to Christ, he has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has become come. Uh, come on. Uh, Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, Romans 8.37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victories is ours through Christ who loved us. And so we need to understand who we are in Christ. Take your self-awareness, put your in Christ awareness together, and you'll find and see yourself properly. Number two, Number two, you've got to see them properly. See the people who hurt you properly. Anybody can cast stones, but it takes a true believer in Christ to have empathy for the people who hurt you, understanding that they can be in hurt themselves. 
to see them. And let me share a scripture with you that might help you in this. Matthew 25, 40, it says here, and the king will say, this is Jesus, he's talking about this, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Verse 45, and he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you refuse to help me. You see a, a, a paradigm here. He says, if you've done good to the least of brothers and sisters, you've done good to me. If you've refused to do good to the least of brothers and sisters, you've refused to do that to me. And so in my life, here's a next level meta thinking that I, that I do in my life. I take that scripture and I think this way. If you hurt me, what you've actually done is done it unto Christ. Man, I have empathy for that. And the way that I then treat you is the way that I'm treating Christ. So when I've been left out, forgotten, lied about, manipulated, hurt in any way, I can live above offense when I just start to say, oh man, I feel bad for that person. They did that to Jesus. That's next level thinking, though. I know that's hard. That's a hard leap. But I'm telling you, it will help you live above offense. Man, I feel sad for them. They hurt Jesus. Well, I'm going to treat them like Jesus. So in the way that I respond is the way that I respond to Jesus. It's the way that I treat Jesus. And that's a principle there that you can live in life, is that the way that the things are done to you, if you just would realize them, like, man, that's just, they did that to Jesus. How sad is they did that to Jesus? How sad that they lied about Jesus? That happened. How sad that they abandoned Jesus? That happened. How sad that they tried to manipulate Jesus? That happened. And I just say, oh, man, I forgive them. Lord, forgive them. I know they're doing that to you because I'm your representative on the earth. He said, if you've done it to the least, it goes all the way up. He's saying it doesn't matter how important the person is. If you treat them that way, that's the way you're treating Jesus. Good or bad, it's your choice. He gives both examples there. Good or bad. Acts of omission or acts of submission. You left it out or you did it. So that's my encouragement. See you properly. See them properly. Have some empathy for them. And lastly, the last point here as we're wrapping up is you got to see God properly. You got to see God properly. Pastor Aaron talked about trusting God, so I'm not going to go into a big part of that. But I want you to ask three questions when you're hurt and you feel like you're alone and that God isn't there. I want you to ask this first question. Is he good? Is he good? I said, is he good? Psalm 105 says this, for the Lord is good. Everybody say, for the Lord Lord is is good. You need to remind yourself when you get in that hurt, he's good. It says he's good. His unfailing love continues forever. His faithfulness continues to each generation. The second question Is he good to you? Come on. Is he good to you? We need to realize that because as we look here in Romans, it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? When you feel like God's abandoned you and he isn't good to you, you just need to read this. Don't you see? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness, other translations say his goodness is intended to turn you from your sin? How good was God that the main thing he wanted to do is make sure he turned us from our sin? He's been good to you. He's been good to you. And lastly, 
This last question is, do I trust him? Pastor Aaron talked about it. I'm not going to go into that. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? To be like God of Job who turned it around for double. Do you believe that he can be like the God of David who turned it around and brought it all back? Do you believe that he can even be like Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and, and, and at the end it may not be all the, the way that you would have put it together and he's still writing that story, but he brings it all back. And as we end today, I want you to know that God feels your pain. And on behalf of churches who may have hurt you, I'm sorry. That's what God says. On behalf of maybe a pastor, a leader, a coach, a mentor, a teacher who hurt you, I say, I'm sorry. On behalf of maybe a parent, as a parent, I say to you that maybe a parent didn't love you the way you needed to be loved or they abuse you or hurt you in some way, I say, I'm sorry. On behalf of neighbors, friends, fellow believers who've hurt you, I say, I'm sorry. Because here's what I know. You may never get to hear them say, you're sorry. But what more powerful thing can you hear than the voice of God whispering to you right now, I'm sorry. 